0: may be seated. Our passage this morning is found in Psalm 70. Psalm 70. We'll be reading all five verses. Psalm 70, a psalm of David to the choir master for the memorial offering. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, Aha! Aha! May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord, do not delay. Let us together seek the Lord's help as we try to understand his passage, this this lament of David together. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for passages like this where your servants cry out to you in need of help. And God, we acknowledge this morning that pandemic related or not, we are a people in need of help. And so we cry out to you, would you by your spirit revive us, would you give us wisdom and counsel to understand this prayer together and to even make it our prayer as your people. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. This past Halloween, my wife decided on a Sesame Street theme for my entire family. Some of you may remember this from the Reformation party where the Coils showed up as the Sesame Street gang. Margot was Elmo. Bethany was Cookie Monster, I was Oscar the Grouch, naturally, and Ellie was the lovable hero Super Grover. For those of you unfamiliar with or a little too far removed from your Sesame Street days, Super Grover is Grover as a superhero, self-explanatory. He flies, he answers cries for help. Unfortunately, Super Grover is not all that super or helpful. He is frequently called upon to, to help with seemingly simple problems, usually involving math or colors or shapes, but he's rarely able to solve them. Those who call for his help are typically, typically left to help themselves. My daughter proved to be an accurate Super Grover when she donned her costume yet again back in January. After spending a good portion of the day dressed as Super Grover, Bethany and I decided to put our little Grover to the test. So we used these large boxes that had been lying around and stood them up, and we hid Super Grover in the box. Once hidden, one of us would cry out, Help! Help! Someone! Help! We were hoping to see that Super Grover would indeed fly out of the box and come to our help. And the result was rather comical. Our Super Grover did an excellent job of responding to the cries. With dramatic flair, she would faithfully bust through the opening of the box and announce her presence. However, that was the extent of the helping effort. No words, no physical aid was offered. Ellie would simply stand in the middle of the room with a smile on her Grover-masked face. And then she would turn around and go back into the box and wait the next cry for help. Like the real Super Grover, Ellie was cute and comical, but unable to offer much help or rescue. She was not the help that we needed, if we actually needed help. As we come to Psalm 70 this morning, we all come, as I prayed, in need of help. Whether it is directly related to the ongoing pandemic or not, all of us are needy and weak. And the natural bent for us as humans is to turn to the likes of a super Grover, to cry out for help where help simply cannot be found. We look for help from people, from certain activities, from certain things, even to ourselves. The list is endless. And now I'm not saying that turning to things is wrong in and of itself. The problem is that we typically go to these things first. And oftentimes solely. But as David will show us in this very short lament, our first and only true source of help is the Lord himself. It is to him that David cries out and invites us to do the same. It is to him that David leads us in this deep and honest prayer of lament. And it is to him, to the Lord, that David points our very needy gaze. David tells us to go to the Lord for the help that you need. Now, Psalm 70, if you're familiar with it, is actually a near word-for-word repeat of the last five verses of Psalm 40, a psalm where David spends the bulk of his energy thanking the Lord for his steadfast love and his faithfulness. And this could be why the inscription which I read describes the psalm as remembering, for a memorial. It points us back to Psalm 40 for us to remember both our trouble, but also God's faithfulness in the midst of our trouble. But some also treat Psalm 70 as a kind of introduction into Psalm 71. The two Psalms, if we were to read them, share many of the same words, many of the same images, many of the same pleas and themes. And this theory holds merit if you were to simply read Psalm 70 and flow right into Psalm 71, it's a seamless transition. But Psalm 70 also stands on its own. We see in here that David is hurting. David is weak. He is in need of help. And so he looks to the Lord. The outline for our time can be found on page 7 of the online order of worship or in the bulletin. And in this prayer, we will see that David does three things. First, he voices his desperation. And then we see David expresses his desires. And then finally, David confesses his dependence. And as we look at those, may we be encouraged and may we be diligent to go to the Lord for the help that we need. David starts by voicing his desperation. We see this in verses 1 and at the end of verse 5. David does not hide his misery from the Lord. He chooses to make it known. We see his his desperation, his misery, first in what David says. He pleads with the Lord to hurry. David fears that any more tarrying on the part of the Lord will mean his end. He says, make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. As a child calls out to their parent, I need you now, David is crying out to his God. He cannot bear to wait one more minute. And David also pleads with the Lord to deliver, to help him. These words are familiar words throughout the Psalms, oftentimes from the lips of David. And this is one of the key things that God has revealed himself to do for his people, to deliver them and to help them. And this word deliver is is a chosen word. It is the same word that God himself used when he told Moses that he he was coming In Exodus 3, the Lord says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Things were desperate for the people of God then. Things are desperate for this servant of God now. David needs God yet again to come down to deliver. And David also reveals in verses 2 and 3 a little bit more about his desperation when he says, there are people who seek my life, who delight in my hurt, who say, aha, aha. It's a joyful, um, victorious pronouncement over David. David is public enemy number one. His enemies wait for and cheer for his demise. They laugh at his suffering at his affliction. They want him dead. And on the one hand, this is nothing new for David. We know from his adventures in First and Second Samuel that Saul tried on multiple times to kill him. He tried it publicly. He tried it privately. He chased Dan- uh, David throughout Israel trying to kill him. We also know Absalom, David's own son, wanted the same. David had to flee Jerusalem because of this particular threat. So David on the one hand was used to such treatment. And maybe it was in response to one of these moments that David penned these words. But no one knows for sure. But even if these scenarios were familiar, I doubt they never got easier. I doubt David laughed and said, hope they want to kill me again. It's okay, I'm good. It was likely that every time these rose up, and it was frequent, David ran to these words he penned in Psalm 70. David was never shy to tell the Lord how bad things really But we also see that David's misery, his desperation, comes even more emphatically, not in what he says, but in how he says it. David repeats himself over and over again in these five verses. This isn't a foreign concept of repeating ourselves, but if you have ever lived with, worked with, or simply been in the presence of children, you know the usefulness of repeating yourself. It hopefully drives a message home. It hopefully helps for better recall. It emphasizes, it draws attention, it can even reveal the extent of someone's condition, desperation. Verses 1 and verse 5 are essentially a repetition of themselves. In verse 5, David again cries out, make haste, O God. And again he says, he uses the word help, deliver. And he calls upon the Lord to come to his aid. The psalm, in a way, mirrors itself from beginning to end. It drives home just how desperate David really is. His first and his last cry is, Help! I need help. But similar to repetition, David also leans on what Hebrew poetry uses as as parallelism, where we use multiple lines to make the same points. This is how verse 1 is constructed. David literally says, O God, to deliver. O Lord, to help. Hurry. They're mirror images of one another, emphasizing how much he needs the Lord to help. He calls upon God as Elohim and also as Yahweh, linking him as God and his covenant Lord. We looked at it earlier, he links the the, the verbs to help and to deliver, to show just how bad things are. And the linchpin of linking all this together is hurry, make haste, get here quickly. I like the way that the message interprets verses 1 through 5. It helps to make this desperation a little bit clearer for us. It lists these verses as, God, please hurry to my rescue. God, come quickly to my side. God, quickly, quickly, quick to my rescue. God, don't lose a minute. David is not messing around in this song. He needs help. He is in trouble. And now David isn't simply voicing his condition for therapeutic reasons. He's not simply saying this out loud to get it off his chest, to put a name to his struggle to make himself feel better. And while I I will agree that many of the counselors say that there's a healthy practice in this, I don't think that is what David's intent is. He is crying out in desperation because only God can help him. He is seeking out his covenant Lord. He is pouring out his soul to the one who is his God and to whom David belongs as his people. And he brings it honestly, he brings it openly. I'll be honest with you that as I've been working through this passage, this has probably been one of the harder implications of it. I don't pray like this. Selfishly, I don't want to pray like this. It's too vulnerable, it's too raw. My prayer tends to lean more towards the PG, keeping things kid-friendly. I would rather not expose everything to the Lord, whether things are really good, they're really bad, or if I'm somewhere in the middle. And we tend to treat God like, the, like we treat those around us, in fear of revealing too much. Surely we know that God knows, but that doesn't mean we have to tell him everything. And since he knows the details, we can spare repeating them. But Psalm 70 and other Psalms of Lament invite us, they actually encourage us to go deeper. The Lord is not scared of your desperation. Jesus Christ has known and experienced it himself as he walked in our flesh. He's not put off by it. He stands ready to hear it. And I think if there's one thing that this pandemic has taught us, it is how desperate we really are. We are desperate for health and healing. We are desperate for patience, especially as we live, even with those we love the most, in close quarters, all the time, 24-7. We're desperate for physical touch, for physical presence with each other. We're desperate for hope. The list goes on. The Lord knows this. And we can voice this desperation to him. We can let him know how desperate we are, and he won't turn us aside. But David not only voices his desperation, he also expresses his desires. He tells the Lord what he wants. This seems rather obvious because we know that prayer is coming to the Lord with our requests. JC did that just a few minutes ago on behalf of our congregation. But once again, we find that David is extremely honest with his desires. First, David confesses to the Lord that he wants him to shame his enemies. This is what he says in verses 2 and 3. Let them be put to shame and confusion. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor. Let them turn back because of their shame. This makes complete sense to us. We pray for such things. Lord, make it stop. Make them stop. Bring this, whatever it is, to an end. We pray this for ourselves. We pray this for our loved ones. We pray this for our church, local, as well as church universal. We even pray it on behalf of strangers, people we've never met, but we hear about the despair that has come upon them. But David is also asking for a little bit more than just make it stop. He wants to see the Lord flip the tables to see that all the joy and the bloating that these people have bears only the fruit of shame and confusion. And the reality is that these, these words, shame, confusion, dishonor, they're all aspects of God's judgment. The Old Testament frequently uses them, includes them in passages regarding God's judgment. In Isaiah 41.11, God comforts Israel by promising to put to shame and confound it, The enemies of Israel. And then again in Isaiah 45, he declares that all false gods will one day be put to shame and confounded before the true God. But we also know that Israel would learn this the hard way. Jeremiah the prophet twice would say, would promise shame and confounding to Israel and her leaders for their lack of covenant faithfulness. Their sin and rebellion would lead to their shame confusion and dishonor. And this is what David desires for his enemies. He prays that all of their efforts would be fruitless. All their desires would come up empty. That God himself would frustrate their plans for David's demise. May they prove to be fools, we could say is what David cries. Give them a taste of their own medicine. And again, we see that David is brutally honest before the And this begs the question, can we pray such prayers as David did, especially in light of Jesus' call to love our enemies and to pray for those who persecute you? There's not enough time to fully develop this, but the short answer is yes. The Psalms are the prayers of God's people, past, present, and future. So when we ask God to bring judgment of our enemies, we are doing so fully convinced that there will one day be a day when he will fully and finally shame all of his enemies in judgment. This is one aspect of our comfort and our hope as we press on in this life as Christ's witnesses. But until that day, we also pray that by bringing shame and dishonor now, God would bring even our enemies to himself. That in shaming them and dishonoring them, they would turn in faith to Christ that they would be transformed by his Spirit to be those who seek the Lord. And this then brings us to David's second request, which is that God would satisfy David's friends. David's focus shifts from verse 3 to verse 4 from his foes to his friends. He even uses the same word, let them, that he says in verses 2 and 3. Just as David is eager and desperate for the shaming and the turning of tables for his enemies, he is desperate and eagerly seeking the blessing of his friends. And obviously he includes himself in this. And what an encouragement it is that David includes all the people of God in this cry for help. He does not isolate himself or consider his experience to be some kind of rarity. He knows the people of God have and will continue to face affliction, suffering, And And so he asks the Lord to supply all God's people with what they need, true and lasting joy found only in the Lord. He says, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. David prays what another psalmist calls us to do, which is to glory in the name of the Lord. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. How can we be glad in the face of trouble, affliction, and hardship? By seeking the Lord. By learning to delight in the salvation He has eternally secured for us in Jesus Christ. It is interesting that David does not ask God to keep his friends from trouble. He doesn't say, don't let what happened to me happen to them. But instead, he asked the Lord to strengthen his people all the more to pursue him. To enable them to worship him with hearts full of praise for his glorious salvation, despite being afflicted, despite being in desperate need of his help. He asked that God would be faithful to his promises to be the strength and joy and delight of his people. He appeals to what God has promised over and over again throughout the pages of Scripture. And if you notice, verse 4 is kind of a play on words with verse 2. We see that the enemies sought David's demise, which only led to their shame. They boasted in themselves. The people of God, however, are encouraged to seek the Lord, which leads to gladness, and then to boast in the Lord and in his salvation. David is drawing kind of a clear line of demarcation between the people of God and everyone else. And he prays that even in the midst of trouble, it would become clearer and clearer as the people of God seek the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, be glad in the Lord, learn to love his salvation. Which again asks the question for us, what desires do we take before the As we will see in a moment, we are a weak people with innumerable needs and desires. And the Lord invites us, calls us to bring them, all of them, to Him. Again, if you're like me, you tend to present the shortened list. You hold back a bit of when it comes to sharing with the Lord what you really want. You might not have the time, you may actually doubt whether God is hearing you or will answer your call. Maybe you're not even sure what it is that you actually want. Regardless, the Lord invites us to come and tell us what it is that we want. Doesn't mean we'll necessarily get it. but we will get is the joy and delight that comes in seeking the Lord even in the midst of our trouble. We will get the comfort that he promises as we cry out to him with all of our deepest longings and desires. So we can come expressing what it is that we want. So we see that David voices his desperation and then he expresses his desires. And finally, we see David closes with a confession of his dependence. David tells the Lord how much he needs him. And I believe this is the heart of David's prayer. Only one who is utterly dependent upon the Lord will voice their desperation to him. Otherwise, they can go elsewhere. Only one who is utterly dependent upon the Lord will express what it is they want for Him to do. And prayer is one of the chief demonstrations of our dependence. In his short but extremely practical booklet, Enjoy Your Prayer Life, Michael Reeves says, Prayer is the antithesis of self-dependence. It is our no to independence, the exercise of faith that you need God and are a needy receiver. Prayer is, just by doing it, just by going to the throne of grace, is confessing our dependence upon the triune God. It is when we cry out to him because we know and we believe and we trust that he is the only one who hears and he is the only one who can help. David and the other psalmists don't write prayers like this simply because they're doing their religious duty. They were putting their faith into practice, crying out their dependence upon the Lord. Whether their faith was strong or barely hanging on, they prayed. Whether they stood on the mountaintop or in the darkest valley, they prayed. They expressed their dependence upon the Lord. And we see in verse 5, David prays just a few short words. I am poor and needy. And notice how David does this immediately after saying, God is great. It's almost like David confesses God is great, and in light of that confession, he goes, Whoa, I'm weak. I'm needy. I am unable to help myself. I am unable to deliver myself. He can't simply pick himself up by his bootstraps. If it is true that God only helps those who help themselves, David is doomed. And David isn't simply wallowing here in some kind of self-pity. He's not beating himself up. He doesn't need a little bit of self-esteem or a motivational pep talk. He knows who the Lord is, and he knows how he operates. If you have your Bibles open, just look up at the top of the page, in Psalm 69, verse 33, where he says, The Lord hears the needy. And in Psalm 113, 7, we hear, From another psalmist where he says, He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ashen. The Lord delights to hear the cries of desperation and dependence from his children. And he hears them. He responds to them. It's not because he gets some kind of validation from weak people needing him. The Lord is not like the gods of the nations. It is because he is strong. It is because he alone is the help and deliverer of his people. And it is in him who his people find strength when they are weak. I recently read an an excellent book on, on anxiety of all things. It's called Struck Down But Not Destroyed, Living Faithfully With Anxiety. It's by a man named Pierce Taylor Hibbs. I would highly recommend it to anyone who struggles with anxiety, which right now is probably all of us, in it, Hib stresses how anxiety emphasizes our weakness, and this can be a good and blessed thing. He says, True and lasting strength is only found in God, and when we are overwhelmed by weakness, in his case, anxiety, we have no confusion about that basic fact. David is not confused. His situation, whatever it is specifically, has made him painfully aware of just how weak and needy he is. And it leads him to the proper response, to confess it to the Lord so that he might find strength. And is this not what Paul reveals in 2 Corinthians 12, the passage most of us are familiar with, where he rejoices in his weakness because in his weakness the grace of God is at work. So then he can boast, for when I am weak, then I am strong. This confession, I am poor, I am needy, is the confession of every child of God. It is the humble recognition that we cannot do it alone. We don't have the strength. Our God, however, does. David calls him my help, my deliverer. He goes from asking God to help to confessing that God is his help is his deliverer. He stands ready and willing to provide it for his children. And it is here where we can be more clearly pointed to our Savior. Because Jesus Christ in the flesh was poor and needy. Despite being fully God, he knew our weaknesses. This is why Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 is hopefully more than just a familiar passage. It is meant to sustain us in times of trouble, to daily invite us to confess our dependence. For in it we find we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Are you running to the throne of grace for help because you're needy and poor? Are you crying out your need for Christ? Does your weakness lead you to find strength in him? We human beings do not like to think of ourselves as weak. We find it repulsive. We would rather think we have it covered. I can do this. We would rather believe we are capable of doing it on our own. David, the king of Israel, confessed his utter dependence upon the Lord. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, lived in utter dependence upon his Father. May we daily, moment by moment, turn to the Lord in full dependence on his strength to help us. Whether we're in want, whether we're in plenty, whether we feel we are in strength, Where we feel we are in need. Without question, you and I need help. And some of you this morning, either here physically or online at your homes, are painfully aware of your need this morning. You feel like David feels. And like David, you continue to cry out and to seek the Lord. You remain dependent upon him for deliverance and upon him alone. I hope and pray that Psalm 70 encourages you to continue turning to the Lord. Bear your soul to him. Plead with him. Tell him what you want. Cry out to him. Tell him how dependent, how needy you are as his child. doesn't matter if your struggle is actual enemies in front of you, or the ongoing trials and tribulations of this pandemic, or just life in general, living as witnesses of Jesus Christ. Matthew Henry called this psalm to be, both for David and us, a salve for every sore, and therefore always to be in mind. We can run to this psalm when we are needy, when we are weak. We should run to this psalm. Pray the words of Psalm 70. Let them flood your mind. Let them take root in your heart Let them restore and refresh your weary soul, which God promises his word will do. Others of you, maybe this morning, are like me, spending most of your time either deconvincing yourself of your need or turning elsewhere for help. You look to the likes of a super grover and only turn to the Lord when things get really bad. And yet you're finding that strength continues to elude you. Gladness and joy are the last thing that you possess. And in this case, Psalm 70 serves as a challenge for us, challenging us where is it that we're going for help? Who is it that we're trying to for help? Any place but the Lord will leave us grasping for what we really desire and what we really need, strength and joy. And so the Lord invites us to turn to him to cry out to him, to bear our souls before him in all their desperation and weakness. Whether we're children of God or whether this morning this is the first time you are hearing this, the invitation is to you now to cry out to the Lord for deliverance, for salvation. He is faithful to save. So may we be eager to take up his offer to bear our souls before him to cry out to help. Go to the Lord for help in your time of need. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this song. In a way, it's short, it's concise, but God, it's, it's deep, it's rich, it's profound, and it, it calls us to the table that we don't bear our souls to you like we should. Would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for running to other things for help, for holding back the desires of our souls, the, the desperation that we have, the, the, the confessions of neediness, God, may we learn to pray like you have taught us to pray in psalms like these. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage my brothers and sisters who are struggling in this very moment for whatever it is that they are facing. God, you know, they know. May this psalm encourage them. May it draw them to you even closer. Be glorified in us, your people. Sustain us, strengthen us. May we find delight in seeking you, we pray in Christ's name. Our hymn of closing is, in a way, a confession of what we just heard from Psalm 70, that we have a friend, and this friend is in Jesus, who hears us when we pray. So we should be all the more eager, and we should feel his invitation to come. So let us together stand and sing what a
1: friend we have in Jesus.